we recognize their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. It's me, Anya, here, and I have Ayan with me as well. Um, Lauren and George aren't here, unfortunately. Everyone's been dropping like flies because of the flu. So if you're listening out there, drink up, rest, take care of yourselves. Today marks the International Workers' Day, also known as May Day, and we'll be dedicating today's show to discuss um, various things like Marxism, capitalism, and the workers' struggle, and women's role in the workers' struggle. Um, we have a, a great lineup of guests, including Ariel Saleh, Ross Ward, and Sumalina Winoto. Yeah, um, and before we hear from our amazing guests, just some news headlines. Um, normally, news headlines is read out by George, but George isn't here, so I will try to do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, the first headline is the International Health and Medical Services. Um, so they have been the primary healthcare provider for refugees on Manus Island, and their contract actually ended yesterday. So IHMS said that some staff will stick around during the transition period, um, the Australian government has confirmed that there will be a new provider but wouldn't say who they were. Um, IHMS, for those who don't know, um, over the years they've been um, criticised for not providing adequate, adequate sorry, for, for not providing adequate medical services. Um, a double suicide attack in Kabul has claimed 25 lives and comes after last week's attack on a voter registration centre that killed 60 people. The first blast was near the NDS Intel- Intelligence Service buildings and the second blast was outside of the Ministry of Urban Development and Housing. The security forces anticipate there will be more attacks in the lead-up to the parliamentary elections mm-hmm. in October. Um, an Interpol-coordinated mission with police officers from the Caribbean has seen the rescue of 300 and 50 men, women and children from human trafficking in 13 Caribbean and Latin American countries. So the mission was called Operation Libertad. Um, It was a two-year project funded by the Canadian government. The victims were rescued from isolated, isolated locations such as remote gold mines, farms, as well as nightclubs and factories. 22 people have been arrested during the raids and their um, computers and phones and other valuables have been seized. Um, So uh, because it's May Day, we thought we'd play a song. Mm. The song's called Clout, and it's by an artist called Beth Proudly. Thanks, Beth, um, for letting us use your song. Um, Clout was one of the six finalists in the 2002 Wobbly Radio Song Competition in Australia, and we're very excited to share this with you. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. .au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. During the 3CR Radiothon for 2018, Spoken Word presents an evening of live poetry featuring the outstanding talents of Jennifer Compton, Andy Jackson, Tariro Mavondo and Kylie Supsky plus an open mic recorded for broadcast on 3CR, Tuesday 15th of May from 7pm at Grub Food Van, 87 Moore Street, Fitzroy. And all proceeds go to 3CR Community Radio. Help keep independent, progressive voices on the air. 
What the hell is a completo anyway? It's a Chilean hot dog. What happens when lots of people get together and eat completos? It becomes a completada bailable. If you really want to experience a completada bailable and support our 3CR community, come to our fundraiser Saturday, May the 19th from 7pm at the Moreland City Band Room, 16 to 22 Cross Street, East Brunswick. Highly danceable tunes by DJ Randy Castilla and DJ Twins. Live music by the Amazonics. Limpiese la boquita que le quedó paltita. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done by Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Welcome back to Tuesday Breakfast. It's me, Anya, and I have Ayan here. Next up, we have a TEDx talk that we'd like to share with you. Um, Lauren actually sent this through this morning um, when she had a brief respite from her flu. This talk is called Sex Work is Integral to the Feminist Movement, um, and it's delivered by Tilly Lawless. And she argues that the preoccupation of many feminists with eradicating the sex industry is at the expense of those in it. She says that by failing to recognize sex work for the emotional and physical labor, it is, um, and she quotes, we forget that sex workers are human like everyone else and deserve to have their living and working conditions fought for just the same as anyone else. So I'll just stop talking and let you listen to the actual talk. Because of who I am and what I do, I've been called these insults and more. I've been called a slut, a vagina on legs, a blow-up fuck doll. Some of these words have come from clients, from relatives, from people who have claimed to have my best interests at heart. But mostly they have come from feminists, or, to be specific, Sex worker exclusionary radical feminists, otherwise known as SWERFs. My experience of this kind of abuse is minuscule compared to how sex workers are treated on a wider scale today and historically. We are consistently spoken over and left out of feminist discussions. We are an easy example of the violence of men, the corruption of capitalism, the way women are brainwashed into serving the patriarchy. Many feminists are preoccupied with eradicating the sex industry at the expense of those in it. And by failing to recognize sex work for the physical and emotional labor it is, forget that, most importantly, sex workers are human like anyone else and deserve to have our living and working conditions fought for just the same as everyone else. Instead of fighting for us, they fight against us. They focus on demands and discussions that are completely reductive, such as whether or not I'm empowered by my job, something that workers in other industries are not repeatedly asked before their job can be viewed as legitimate. Empowerment is not a prerequisite for human rights. In fact, being given human rights is a step towards empowerment, not the other way around. In March last year, Swedish feminist Katja Eckes Ekman referred to Thai sex workers as cheap pussy. Empower Foundation, the Thai sex worker rights org, had this response. Perhaps you don't know that sex workers in Thailand are mothers and family providers. Tonight, at least 300,000 of us will go to work who have never heard of you. You do not need to agree with what we do to earn our living. However, your disapproval should not be allowed to incite hatred or stigma against us. This is just one example of many where sex work is devalued and sex workers are let down by and excluded from feminism. 
Regardless of your moral or theoretical problem with sex work, attempting to wipe it out does nothing to help those in the industry. What this does do, though, is make surviving even harder for those who are most marginalised. Sex workers are often working class, women of colour, migrants, queer, many other mothers, sometimes drug users too, who then face the double stigma of being both sex worker and drug user. Sex work is often the refuge of those shut out from the dream of financial security. It has been a way for migrant women, the working class and women of colour to reverse the status quo, as through it they can gain access to wealth and power by financially profiting off something they're not meant to financially profit from and is meant to be controlled by a man. That is, their sexual and emotional labour. Society is preoccupied with women who can transcend their birth in this way. Think of Holly Go Lightly from Breakfast at Tiffany's, Marilyn Monroe, Black China, Melania Trump, who posed for men's magazines in the 90s, which comes under the broader umbrella of sex work, as does all soft porn. The knee-jerk reaction that people often have to sex work, couched in a moral mumbling that it is wrong, is tied up with ideas of how women should behave. We are not meant to financially capitalise on our sexuality, but instead give it freely and within the bonds of a relationship. This is why men's sex workers are not scrutinised in nearly the same way as women's sex workers. There is no discounting of their autonomy or attempts to save them. When men's sex workers are clamped down on, it is generally homophobic. The bathhouse raids of the 80s, for example, were more concerned with the visibility of homosexual sex than whether or not men could consent to transactional sex. Women sex workers are seen as passive victims, slaves to the patriarchy, people whose decisions have to be made for. This is how high-profile white actresses such as Meryl Streep, Lena Dunham, Kate Winslet, Anne Hathaway and others, can think it is appropriate in 2015 to sign a petition against Amnesty International's decision to advocate for the rights of sex workers. Blind criticism of sex work is ironic, especially coming from these actresses. As a few hundred years ago, actresses were viewed as sex workers, because of the way in which they stepped outside the private sphere allowed for women into the public sphere. And often were sex workers too, such as in the case of Nell Gwynne, the renowned actress and mistress of Charles II. I ask, how come faking intimacy in front of a camera is fine, but not between two consenting adults? I ask, how come putting up with an exploitative director is fine in the name of art, but my decision to work under a brothel manager is not mine to make. How can these women look down from their immense tower of wealth and privilege and say how other women can or cannot make money to survive? Casting couch or brothel bed, what is the difference? Women use their bodies and individual beauty privilege in many diverse ways to live in this world. And I say use because it is important to note that I do not sell my body. I do not par away at myself with each work interaction till I'm whittled away to nothing at all. I'm just as loving, caring, open and independent as I ever was. I'm just as much of a person as I ever was. And if I do rent out my vagina, how is that any different to a labourer renting out their arms to stack shelves? An athlete renting out their body for public entertainment? A model? renting out theirs to sell products. In 1917, at a US protest of sex workers, brothel madam Reggie Gamble said, nearly every one of these women is a mother or has someone depending on her. They are driven into this life by economic conditions. You don't do any good by attacking us. Why don't you attack these conditions? These words ring true a hundred years later. If people are so concerned with how other people make money to survive, why don't we make surviving easier for those who are most marginalised? Why not the same passion when it comes to public health care being threatened, racial discrimination in workplaces, 
cuts to public school funding. Theoretical arguments can be conducted above our heads, but it is legislation and stigma that affects us. The Swedish model, which exists across a number of countries and criminalizes the buying of sex rather than the selling of sex, defines pimps as anyone who lives off the earnings of a sex worker. In execution, this means that sex workers can't work together for safety, can't screen clients, can't rent a property, can't use their earnings to send their children to university. The system in the UK this year saw a 70-year-old brothel cleaner charged with brothel keeping after she attempted to save the life of a man who collapsed there. The system in the US, which uses condoms as evidence of prostitution across a number of states, such as California and New York, condemns many street-based sex workers to working without condoms for fear of arrest and the assault that comes at the hands of the police. It also completely ignores the fact that for many sex workers, this is their only viable avenue of income. I'm incredibly lucky to work in a place where sex work is decriminalized. New South Wales is one of only two places in the world, New Zealand is the other. So my job is subject to the same rules and regulations as any other industry. Unlike sex workers in the Republic of Ireland, I do not have to worry about being raped by a policeman threatening to arrest me. Unlike sex workers in South Australia, I don't have to worry about being arrested and having conviction on my record that makes it even harder to exit the industry. I can't donate blood, I can't get work cover, I can't travel to the US, and I very likely will come up against stigma when looking for a job or a rental property. But I'm incredibly lucky. I can work to support myself in safety. I can seek legal aid if something happens to me. And I can, as a white woman, speak about my job without it being used as an argument against my validity as a citizen of this society or without being held up as an example of my race, both of which happen to migrant women and women of color. Because of my education, people often assume that I came to sex work out of a desire to earn my own money to be independent from my parents. When in reality I came to it because my single unemployed parent could not support me even though he wanted to. In the dichotomy presented in the media of either glamorous high-flying escort or drug-addicted downtrodden victim, there is little place for the myriad of stories between. I have worked with an African immigrant who could not get another job because English wasn't her first language but was able to save up enough through sex work to start her own business and be financially independent from any future partner. I have a friend whose mental illness does not allow her to commit to normal contracted work, but can come and go and work whenever she is able to with sex work's flexible hours. I have worked with a woman stashing away money after every shift so she could save up enough money to leave her abusive husband with her two children. Yet if she'd gone to the Salvation Army for help, very likely the first thing they would do is recommend that she leave sex work and put an end to her only income. These unending and moral arguments around sex work distract from the real issue. Instead of having to justify our humanity, justify our profession and prove our humanity, we should be included in the mainstream feminist movement. So what can you do to incorporate sex workers into the general fight for human rights? Remember that you are the new generation, a political generation, and it is you that will hold sway and shape the future in the years to come. As client, sex worker, member of society, it is you who will affect how sex workers are treated by both legislation and those around them. Watch your language. Even a casual negative comment, such as, she's dressed like a whore, dehumanizes us. Watch your assumptions. Just because a woman is a migrant does not mean she's been trafficked. Include them in feminist discussions. Include them in discussions about PrEP, antiretroviral drugs used to prevent HIV infection, and national health initiatives. The slowing in the spread of HIV in the 1990s is directly and partly attributable to the decriminalization of sex work in New South Wales in 1995. 
Donate to sex worker rights orgs. Stand up for sex workers when we're abused online. But mainly, remember that we are not deserving of rights because we are respectable. We are deserving of rights because we are human. Thank you. That was Tilly Lawless talking about how sex work is integral to the feminist movement. Um, it's quite a emotive and emotional talk. So if that brought up um, anything for you, um, the number for um, 1-800-RESPECT is 1-800-737-732 and Lifeline is 131114. If you're more interested about learning about sex work activism and advocacy, um, you should check out Scarlet Alliance. Their contact number is 02-9517-2577. Thanks for that. Um, on the line, we have Sumerlina Raiden Winota. Um, Sumerlina is an activist and organizer living in Nam. They work with the Whistleblowers, Activists and Citizens Alliance and are very passionate about human rights and immigration policy. They co-created the podcast Condemned to the Lembrith with Mali Rabel being released in May 2018 and features conversations about consequences and implications of Australia's detention centre. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Samalina. Hi, thank you. Um, so, Samalina, can you tell us about the um, can you tell us about Condemned to the Lembrith and also uh, a little a little about the inspiration for the podcast? Yeah, sure. Um, so, Condemned to the Labyrinth is a six-part series um, where we interviewed a variety of people from different perspectives, some with lived experience in the detention center industry, um, some people who uh, work on the legal front of it, some people who work in the policymaking um, realm. And we essentially wanted to kind of explore what it really means to be in detention and the kind of effects it has on people, as well as how we ended up in a position where we are um, detaining people indefinitely for seeking asylum. So what the kind of um, history is of Australia and its immigration policy and how it's kind of developed into what we see today. Mm. Um, yeah, and it started... Um, so Mali, the other person who created this podcast with me. Um, she's from the U.S. and was coming here for a research project on incarceration. Um, so we just got talking about it. And I think we just we just realized that this is um, a part of the conversation that doesn't really happen that much in the public sphere about like just how taxing it is and how complicated it is to be stuck in detention and what that does yeah. to people. Mm -hmm. So we really wanted to kind of... Um, I guess, expand on that and make space for that kind of conversation for people to explore. Right. And also, because you talk about the complex nature of the detention mm. industry in so-called Australia, um, what are you hoping to... What type of conversations are you hoping to generate with this podcast? I hope that it will help people um, see that it's not as simple as what we see in the media usually that, you know, like that you're a refugee, you go in detention. Um, you know, I feel like in this day and age, it's very much um, uh, everybody wants to kind of have this black and white narrative about the good and the bad, the right and the wrong. Mm. Um, and regardless of what your situation is or your background is, going into the detention center is really, really taxing and traumatic um, and I think that's something that we don't talk about enough. So I'm hoping these conversations that we've recorded in the podcast will um, help other people think about, um, you know, what actually happens to someone when they're being locked up for five years, what actually happens when they're being um, told that their human rights are being taken away because of a particular place that they come through or a particular mode of transport they've chosen to get here. Um, and the kind of effects that has on people and also on our society as a whole. Mm. And when, well, for me, when I think about um, activism, mm. um, I think about picketing and rallies, but it's mm. also good to know that there are other ways to highlight the issues that matter to us. Yeah. And you've chosen yeah. the platform of a podcast. Um, can you tell us why a podcast? Yeah, 
Yeah, um, and I think that's such a good point that you make. Like, activism does include so many ways of engaging with issues, and it's so important to to know that, like, you know, that that that, that activism is really accessible um, in a lot of different ways. We chose to do a podcast because um, these issues are really, really complicated. And um, when we were talking about developing um, some sort of um, project. Um, what the, the the way we wanted to do it was that because I've been doing activism within this space for a number of years now, I've got I personally have access to a lot of people and a lot of conversations mm. that delve into these nuances um, and how really um, I guess particular in in the things that we talk about and the way that we engage with immigration policy. Like it's very um, because these are all people who've been doing it for maybe a decade, um, have a, a huge wealth of knowledge that isn't really accessible from a from a from a kind of public sphere space. Mm. Um, so we thought it'd be really powerful to kind of record those conversations that we're having in private as activists talking to each other about what we want to see seen, um, what we want to do, what we want to see happen, um, the changes that we're trying to create in our work, and be able to record those conversations and put them into the public sphere for other people to listen to as well. Um, so I guess it's kind of like a fly-on-the-wall situation where we're having conversations about the work that other people are doing in the human rights sphere mm. and wanting to let other people hear those conversations as well instead of only seeing the public space of campaigns and things like that. Yeah. Um, and we chose to do a kind of conversation format because that's the a lot easier to listen to um, because the conversations are really complicated. They're really, really heavy topics. Um, But when you're just having a conversation and talking about it, it makes it a lot easier to to kind of process the information. Absolutely. And I I think it's also good because it encompasses the different learning styles because not everyone learns through um, visual. So audio is a very valuable um, way of learning that a lot of us don't um, utilize or or think it's even valuable. Um, So when does Condemned to the Labyrinth release and where can we listen to it? So the first episode is going to be out on May 15th. Um, and we've got a teaser out already, which is on our website um, and on our Facebook page. So you can follow Carceral Complex um, and Condemned to the Labyrinth as a part of that project. And it's the teasers on there. And then the web, sorry, the episodes will be coming out on Spotify and iTunes and SoundCloud. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also... We'll also have on the website extra resources for people who are interested in learning more and transcripts for um, people with hearing difficulties. Excellent, excellent. I, l- I love how accessible this is. It's so important because it's yeah, it's important for everybody to be included as well because sometimes we have a habit of you know, um, making these spaces very elite yeah. and academic. So we do appreciate yeah. you um, mm-hmm. yeah, being just so thoughtful about how you um, send the message out. Well, we do our best. (laughs) Thank you so much for appearing on Tuesday Breakfast, Samalina. No, thank you for having me. (laughs) That was Samalina Raiden-Winoto, who is an activist and organizer living in Nam and is also a member of the Whistleblowers Activists and Citizens Alliance. They discuss their podcast, Condemned to the Labyrinth, with Marley Rabel. The podcast airs on May 15th and can be heard on Spotify and iTunes. Rumination. 3CR's Rooming House and Homeless Persons Issues Program. Featuring information on health and housing services, as well as live local guests, artists and performers from our unsung community. Join us at 12... PM on Thursday on 3CR 855 AM. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. It's 7.31 AM.
So recently, one of my favorite art, favorite artists of all time, Janelle Monae, came out as pansexual in a Rolling Stone interview, which has made many people, including myself, very emotional. Um, she said that being a queer black woman in America, she considers herself to be free. I won't use her exact words because we're on air,、um, but that's you know basically it.、Um, we at Tuesday Breakfast love her to death. Uh, me especially. So Janelle, if you're listening to this, we would love to have you here. In the meantime, here's a great song by Janelle. It's called Queen, and it features Erica Badu. You know what time it is? It is nitty gritty. <laughs> some folks know about it, some don't. Some will learn to shout it, some won't. But sooner or later, baby, here's a ditty. Say you're gonna. Oh, that's me being so extra. I love it.、Um, so, alternative news. Our favorite time of the well, not not really our favorite time of this、um, breakfast show. I don't know why I said that. It sounded cute, but as soon as I said, it, I was like, "What? Really?" <laughs> I, I mean, well, we love the song. Yeah, that's for sure.、Um, okay, so today on alternative news, we thought we would discuss、um, the、uh, group. Incel,、mm-hmm. I N C E L. So a little background.、Uh, incel was、um, the actual the actual term incel, which means、um, involuntary celibacy. It was actually coined、um, in 1993 by、um, a queer woman.、Um, but when at that time when it was coined, it was created. Um, as an online space for folks who struggled with dating and finding sexual partners, so she created this page for people like her who found it hard to find partners, who also、um, struggled with,、um, uh, who maybe had social anxiety and so on. So it was a place for people to connect and、um, to support each other.、Um, even then, in 1993, there were elements within that group. Who perhaps saw women as objects, but it wasn't as toxic as it is now, right?、Mm-hmm. So the term has now become co-opted by male rights groups, and it's become synonymous with male rage and violence. So,、um, uh, insul now is a mainly cis men, although there are some women in the group. Um, so they gather across several online platforms. They used to be on Reddit, but They've been the、uh, Reddit, which is an online forum. They've been banned.、Um, that forum, sorry, the thread was deleted. But they can be found on other platforms. So there's no one place that they gather.、Um, they're usually on forums and they'll create their own threads.、Um, but they do ha- actually they do have a website. It's called I, I won't say what it is.、Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a space where they share their anger and frustration at failing in love and romance, but、um, instead of taking ownership, they believe、uh, they blame women because they believe women are too independent and picky, and because women,、um, well, they think women now have the upper hand, and n- so the men have become celibate. Not by choice, but because the women, I guess, are not giving up the.、Mm. I hate this term, but the goods.、Um, and there's also another element. There's the they see themselves as genetically inferior, which is a bit weird. Weird, because、um, uh, anytime anyone talks about genetics, there's always a policy that's coming through. Anywho,、um, so. They see themselves doomed to loneliness forever, which creates a,、um, the idea of hopelessness. And、um, when the idea of hopelessness is created, often people feel like there's nothing to live for.、Mm. Um, so there's different terms that this group use. So there's Chad. So Chad is a man who's attractive, hypermasculine. He gets all the girls.、Um, There's Stacys. So Stacys are attractive women. They're they're seen as gold diggers. They're seen as women who use their body to get to、um, to get places, I guess.、Uh, 
Um, and then there's Becky. So Becky is an average-looking woman, and um, and I guess the men are angry more at Becky's. So because they see those women as available, and the fact that these women aren't putting out, these men are angry at them because they feel like they have a right to their bodies. So um, some people might see this group as harmless. Um, but there are elements, there are fringes within the group who, in, in the group of incel, who believe violence is the only way to control women, that these women need to be taught a lesson. So why is incel gaining attention now, even though they've been around for some time? Recently in Toronto, Alex Minnison, um, drove a van into a busy street, killing 10 people. Um, this guy, before the murder, before the murder took place, he made a Facebook post um, talking about the Insul Rebellion and also praised Elliot Roger. Um, for those who remember or don't, in 2014, Ella Roger, El- Elliot Roger killed six people in 2014, um, and he also left behind a manifesto in which he pretty much expressed his hatred for girls who rejected his attentions and general hatred of women. So, yeah, so Mm. there's that group who are um, gaining a lot of traction. Um, Yeah, it just reminds me of um, that, uh, I guess, a Tumblr post, really, where I get all my news from, um, about how, you know, men are afraid women um, wouldn't want to sleep with them, but women are afraid that men would kill them. And, you know, we see that playing live in action now, which is very worrying. Um, yeah, and the term incel sort of gives um, gives them a bit of a legitimate term in a way. Yeah. Where it's just, you know, plain misogyny. Yeah, absolutely. Really. Ab- ab- absolutely. And it's interesting because this group is also part of a larger um, uh, resurrection or well, a resurgence of right-wing groups around mm, the world. Yeah. And you think about the um, the groups that popped up in the U.S. Um, before Trump and I guess after Trump. Mm. So all these men who feel disenfranchised and who feel like um, – and this idea of ownership that they have a right. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And now they're being denied the right. Yeah. And that, and that lack of creativity, Chad – Stacey? Yeah. Becky? Come on. And interesting, those are very white names. Like, those <laughs> yeah. are hella white names. And even though there are, like, black people who are part of Insul, I like to think it's majority white because mm. the group hasn't been shut down. Insul website is still up. Yeah. So, you know, if this was, like, ethnic dominated, mm. they would have shut, they would have shut this down immediately. And mm. when you think about, um, there was an article that I was reading, um, I forgot the name, but, it was in Vox, V-O-X. Um, it's an online uh, media space. So they were talking about how this group can s- maybe be compared to groups like ISIS in the, mm-hmm. in the when it comes to radicalization, um, yeah. online being a space for radicalization. And creating fear and, yeah. Absolutely. Terror, yeah. yeah, because you just don't know when they'll attack, right? Mm. And, um, and before they found out that this guy, Alec, the one who... Um, um, murdered 10 people before mm. they found out that he was part of the incel group they were quick to um, jump straight into you know name calling and, and saying that he's probably a terrorist and all that until they discovered that well yeah he was white <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh my god I love that's how you know if the person is white or not by how long it takes for the like well there's always the mental health issue which is real mm. but the mental health um only applies to certain people. Yeah, yeah, applies to certain. It's not across the board, you know. Mm. And usually, so when an incident happens, I'll go on Twitter. And if they don't say it's a terrorism or if they've started with the mental health uh, angle, mm. I'm like, okay, it's definitely a white person who did it. Yeah. You know, because there's always a justification when they do a hey. Mm. Um, so even though it's U.S.-based, it's it's international, but it's gaining a lot of attention in the U.S. Um, I can also see it gaining attention here as well mm. um, because we do have our own right-wing groups and men's, like, I think, what's that group for fathers? Um, like a father's rights group. 
but they pretty much feel like the courts are siding with women. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. So there are all these groups who are out there, and um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. These men sort of see this as like a like a turning point because in the Ensel groups, this article that I was reading, they were talking about um, that there needs to be a revolution. Mm, that they were going to overthrow something. <laughs> yeah, right. So they're thinking so, um, and this hopelessness really scares me because when people are hopeless, they're forced to take drastic measures, as I said before, and and how far will they go, mm, right? Yeah. Um, and everyone's sort of saying, oh, these are just like little episodes and, and so on, but yeah, Disinf- mm. like men who feel like the world owes them um and yeah i'm i'm just worried how far this thing will spread and 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 whether it will um create copycats and and so on but insult so that's a that is a situation that's happening and mm. it's good to know i mean not good to know but important to know about these groups and that they exist yeah, um, and, and the dark interwebs is hiding them. Um, and as usual, this is um, a very heavy topic that we've been discussing about. So if it's brought up some things for you, um, please call one eight hundred respect. That's one eight hundred seven three seven seven three two or Lifeline one three double one one four. And after some community service announcement announcements, we'll hear from Ariel Shelley. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. Ali MC presents a brand new photography exhibition, Shot on the Road, an intimate yet confronting view of the forgotten parts of the world. Shot on the Road will be opening on Saturday, May 5 at the Fitzroy Library from 2 to 4 p.m. Shot on the Road is part of the 2018 Human Rights Arts and Film Festival and is supported by the City of Yarra, Prism Imaging and Brio Books. A 3CR supporter. Great Voices number 17 is the latest two CD set from Great Voices on 3CR. It's a unique collection of rare opera and song featuring current singers like Kaufman and Kalea and the best singers of the 20th century. Colour, Sutherland, Olivero, Schwarzkopf, Guetta, Corelli, Pavarotti, Carreras and dozens more. Some less famous and some unknown. At $35 posted, $30 at 3CR, this two CD set number 17 will delight you with two and a half hours of glorious pleasure. The previous issues are now only $10 each. Proceeds to 3CR. Ring now on 94198377 or go to 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. corner of the land. Womankind arise! Women on the Line, a current affairs program devoted to women's voices, covering a diversity of women's interests and hearing women's perspectives on current affairs. Erosion of human rights leads directly and inevitably to erosion of human security. We do not accept the denial of our rights because the right to have a say over our country is our life. Women on the Line. Tune in on Mondays at 8.30am and Wednesdays at 6am on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am.
45 Downstairs and Future Leaders are inviting submissions from Emerging Australian Visual Artists for the Emerging Artist Award 2018. From cutting-edge artistic practices to new takes on traditional styles, selected works will be exhibited at 45 Downstairs Gallery in June. A special guest judge will award prize money to the two artworks that best demonstrate originality and innovation. Submissions close on Monday the 21st of May. For more information, visit 45downstairs.com. A 3CR supporter. Artists Amanda Ketterer and Rosemary Williams have joined together to present their exhibition Beyond the Layers, exploring colour, texture and layering and capturing fragile beauty and imperfections of ageing. The exhibition at Space 2B, 144 Chapel Street, Balaclava, runs till May 4th. Space 2B profits fund programs supporting creative projects, workplace training and business mentoring to support newly arrived citizens to Australia. Together we make a difference. Space 2B, a 3CR supporter. Great Voices CDs on 3CR. These CDs are a unique collection. Now you can go to 3cr.org.au and you can order online all the 20 CDs, 15 issues, for $160. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR with Ayan and myself, Anya. It's 7.55 a.m. I don't know what the exact state of the weather is, but it was pretty cold when I walked in, so I hope you're layering up. It's time to roll your sleeves up and get your hands dirty with Friends of the Earth. Dirt Radio. During the 3CR Radiothon for 2018, Spoken Word presents an evening of live poetry featuring the outstanding talents of Jennifer Compton, Andy Jackson, Tariro Mavondo and Kylie Supsky, plus an open mic recorded for broadcast on 3CR, Tuesday 15th of May from 7pm at Grub Food Van, 87 Moore Street, Fitzroy. And all proceeds go to 3CR Community Radio. Help keep independent, progressive voices on the air. Billabong Bait starting on the 8th of May at 11am till 12pm, 8.55am, 3CR Community Radio. Tune in to Billabong Beats Tuesdays at 11am with me, Gavin Moore, giving a voice to both Western Kulin and Kulin First Nations peoples. <laughs> Join me to talk about philosophy and dreamtime stories surrounding the waterhole, the sacred fire, the land, the plants and animals. Billabong Beats, 11am Tuesdays on 3CR. It's that time of year again. It's Radiothon. And out of the blue, we're running our annual fundraising trivia night. It's on Wednesday the 23rd of May at 6pm at Highlander Bar in the city. So jump on our Facebook page, Out of the Blue, for more information and tickets. Hope to see you there. Come along and have some fun. Located in the heart of Thornbury, the Islamic Museum of Australia showcases the cultural and artistic heritage of Australian Muslims. Don't miss our latest youth-based exhibition, Ways to be Muslim, and immerse yourself in a series of photographic portraits and unique personal narratives. This exhibition is hosted in partnership with Muslim Collective and the Victorian State Government and is showing until July 8th. Visit the museum website for more information. The Islamic Museum of Australia is a 3CR supporter. you got to remember, Nainok's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for NAIDOC Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. 
Nadoc means a lot to me. It's um, about identity and also about past and present. Nadoc means a lot to me for my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy Nadoc! And on the line with us, we have Ariel Saleh, um, who is a long-time feminist, ecological activist and writer in Melbourne. She has two events coming up this week. The first is the launch of Feminist Ecologies, edited by Lara Stevens, Peter Tate and Denise Finley at Melbourne University on 2nd of May, which is this Wednesday at 2pm. Tickets are available via the University of Melbourne website. Her second event is the celebration of the 20th anniversary edition of her classic Ecofeminism as Politics, Nature, Marx and Postmodern. This will be at the New International Bookshop, sorry, at the New International Bookshop on um, 4th of May, which is Friday, and tickets are available via Eventbrite. Her political writing builds on practical experiences in anti-nuclear politics, water cashments, biodiversity protection and support for Asia-Pacific women creating eco-sufficient community alternatives. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, Ariel. Oh, hi. Can I, can I just correct one thing there? Yeah. Um, I actually, I'm talking to you from Sydney. I'm just coming down the ah. road later, <laughs> later in the week. I live in Sydney. But the other thing is, um, I wasn't quite sure the, the launch of feminist ecologies, if you have the time right. So, you might get someone to check that and re-announce it later. Uh, it's definitely Wednesday afternoon, mm. but whether it's, if you just get the time checked. Yeah, definitely, out. definitely. What we'll do is we'll post Mark. the links on our Facebook page and Twitter. Okay. So, yeah, yeah and hopefully um, people can follow that up. Um, so you're launching, you're, uh, launch, relaunching, sorry, um, a book 20 years after it was first published, has the place of feminism in society changed? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, look, this feminist revolution is going to take 300 years, okay? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, uh, things are picking up, but the basic dynamic of uh, uh, gender relations is not really changed. Um, people are very optimistic about the Me Too uh, movement, um, and it's kind of good. But on the other hand, you know, I think most of the benefits going to the media moguls uh, with all the salacious reporting about people's affairs. And uh, it's distracting people's conversation about feminism from questions like the wage differential. You know, women are still earning a fifth best than men in, in the same jobs. And from domestic violence, you know, which is an epidemic in Australia right now. Mm. And uh, the casualties of women in war. In fact, uh, at this time, we're actually seeing a decline in the global population of women. Women are a kind of threatened species mm. because uh, not only with the, the, uh, casual, the collateral damage on women in, these, uh, in the wars that are going on, particularly in Africa and the Middle East, but also in Asia the, um, and European countries, the femicide, femicide of uh, female babies and, uh, and, as I said, the domestic violence. So women... Things are still very, very bad for women around the world. Yeah. And how did you become an ecological feminist? Uh, well, I have to say, and I should, I, I, I should say that, that uh, I was deeply inspired back in the 70s by hearing Helen Caldicott talking about the nuclear question. Um, she absolutely galvanised me. And uh, I became involved in helping to set up the movement against uranium mining and then... That moved on to other things like helping get green parties on the ground up and running. And then uh, um, I went to live in the state for a while and we formed a journal called Capitalism, Nature, Socialism, which was the beginning of an eco-socialist kind of um, movement, I suppose you'd say. And, uh, oh, God, what else? So the Rio Earth Summit, I was lucky enough while I was there to go down and that opened my all my thinking about the relation of women and justice and ecology into the sort of decolonial uh, colonisation question. 
And uh, uh, then more recent years, I suppose, uh, the rise of the World Social Movement, mm. a World Social Forum and the movement of movements, and um, the climate question, how that, in fact, is gendered, gendered in its causes, gendered mm. in its solutions, gendered in its policies. Um, you name it, it goes on. <laughs> yeah. And do you, do you think... Um, Ecofeminist political actions are happening in Australia and overseas. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, well, we've just seen some ecofeminist women uh, being given the Goldman Prize over in the United States for their environmental work. But um, I can think of overseas. I'd, I'd say uh, Anna Isla, who's a Peruvian ecofeminist, who's done an enormous amount of work on um, the impact of the green economy, which is a, a sort of corporate uh, corporate response to the ecological crisis, yeah. uh, the impact on rural women in, in South American, Central American states. In Australia, I think of the green granny, the grannies and the knitting nannies. <laughs> um, in Africa, uh, Wo Min is a, a fantastic new NGO. Uh, Wo Min stands for Women Versus Mining. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is continent-wide, and they're doing um, fabulous stuff, uh, helping women to combat the impacts of mining in their communities mm-hmm. and get uh, regulation on mining and so forth. Uh, in Honduras, of course, we've seen the assassination of the uh, catcheress for her uh, work in trying to mobilise communities to stop the building of a dam. Women in Slovenia are getting very interested in ecofeminism and are holding a conference later this year, women in Barcelona, Code Pink in uh, North America still battling the uh, Israeli-Palestine issue, and and it goes on. Right, right, yeah, and they've been going strong on that. Yeah, there's plenty happening. Oh, and yes, and of course the exciting launch of the new book by the women at Melbourne University on um, tomorrow. Yeah, Yeah. excellent. And um, I'm not sure if you know, but today's show we've been uh, dedicating it to May Day, um, so it's, I guess, fitting to highlight the state of capitalism around the world and issues faced by workers. Can you tell us your thoughts on that? Yes, I can. Um, I'm very well aware it's May Day, and uh, we really capitalism has become intensely uh, austere and harsh on people's lives. But uh, at the turn of this century, into the new millennium, um, a new movement, movement of movements, began around the world, uh, looking, trying to draw the workers' movement, the, the, the decolonisation struggles, feminism and ecology all together as one large movement. And uh, this is not so strong in Australia, but I, I think it's really important that workers perhaps begin to think this way and develop a new imaginary, uh, because automation is going to be putting a lot of people out of jobs. Mm. And from an ecological point of view, high-tech solutions and more and more development are not going to work. Um, I, I, there's a very impressive work being done by a young anthropologist in London called Jason Hickel. And he points out that uh, under existing capitalism, 60% of the people in the world are living on $5 a day. Wow, 60%. Yes. And in order to bring them up to present levels with more growth, more development, uh, more capitalist solution, it will take 207 years. And in order for mm. that development and growth to happen, the global economy will have to increase by 175 times its present size. Now, we're already using more than one, I don't know whether it's four planets or ten planets <laughs> in yeah. our current resource use, but you can see the problem. Yeah, it sounds so, very bleak. <laughs> so, um, workers, a new imaginary, and, and, and ecofeminism has been arguing this way for at least four decades. We have women uh, ecofeminists in Germany who put forward the model of the subsistence perspective, uh, very similar to the Australian Simplicity Institute position. Mm. Um, we've got the people from South America, the indigenous peoples and peasants, leading with their model of when severe economies, solidarity economies, which are simpler, uh, and prioritizing human relations to the earth. And uh, in Europe, a lot of young people are engaged in the degrowth movement. 
So looking at our present economy, looking, working out how can we degrow, how can we scale back our resource use, and how can we grow our human relations in living in a more sharing way in common. So ecofeminism mm. contributes mm. also uh, in a critique of existing socialist theory, I suppose you'd say, right. by putting the focus away from productivist labour onto regenerative labour. Regenerative, okay. Labour that regenerates, reproduces, regenerates our human relations with each other and our human relations with nature. Excellent. Excellent. So ecofeminism <laughs> is the way, I guess, take direction from ecofeminists? I mean, obviously, these different groups I've mentioned, the ideas about the future are converging. Yeah. What's so exciting about it. But I do have to say that women have been pioneering these positions. Oh, absolutely. For a number of decades. And uh, we should not lose sight of that fact. And my next book kind of uh, deals with it, and it's, it's edited with um, some South American and Asian activists mm. as well, called um, The Reverse, the Post Development Dictionary. Right. So we'll. Hopefully that's out by the end of the year and uh, we might have to have another look. Yes, yes. Fingers crossed. Thank you so much, Ariel. Yeah, thank you. All right. Cheers. That was Ariel Saleh discussing ecological feminism and the capitalism and the, um, sorry, and, cat- and capitalism today. Wow, that's such a huge tongue twister. Ariel Saleh is relaunching ecofeminism as politics at the New International Bookshop on Friday, May 2018, and, ticket, and tickets can be found on Eventbrite. Come and see Bart Willoughby's album, Resonance, live on June the 2nd at Fitzroy Town Hall. Doors open at 7pm and show starts at 7.30. Featuring all tracks from Bart Willoughby's latest album, Resonance, a combination of reggae, jazz, opera and Middle Eastern music, in celebration of Reconciliation Week. Saturday, June the 2nd. Tickets available through tickyboo.com.au. Early bird community tickets available for 3CR subscribers and City of Yarra residents and workers until May 7th. Check out our Facebook page or website for further details. A 3CR supporter. Welcome back to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast with Ayan and me, Anya. As you know, Lauren was unable to join us in the studio this morning, so we thought we'd bring you a teaser of an interview coming up after 10 a.m. this morning. Both historically and today, where have women existed in the workers' struggle? Let's have a look. Let's see what's a good point to start. March the 8th which, as you know, is now celebrated as International Women's Day. For many years, it was International Working Women's Day. It was actually celebrated its uh, centenary last year, usually sponsored by banks, usually with a whole lot of finger clicks and you-go girls and self-esteem workshops. It was rather different. Now, there are various accounts of what occurred, but what people can all agree on, that this day led to the downfall of the Tsar in Russia heralded the beginning of the Russian Revolution. Women of nobility, you know, the little princesses of the time, women of the peasant class and and female students had a very large demonstration, possibly a spontaneous one, possibly not one agitated by the Bolsheviks, against the war, the First World War, the extraordinary First World War that took so many lives. And then in the afternoon, it said they were joined by a large number of female textile workers in what was then Petrograd. They joined them in great number. And so this is the genesis of International Women's Day or International Working Women's Day, celebrated or, in my view, utterly disrespected on on March the 8th. A simultaneous, a spontaneous gathering of women protesting two things. War doesn't happen anymore and protest against worker exploitation, whether that was of the factory workers themselves, women, or the workers who were really soldiers. Remember, a bayonet is a weapon with a worker at both ends. Around about the same time, the great Rosa Luxemburg 
was one of 150,000 women members of the SDP and about the same number, probably the same women in Germany, belonged to trade unions. Around about the same time, there was accounts of 300,000 female members of unions. There were meetings of socialist women who were almost always members of trade unions. And one of the reasons that they said that they you know, had to declare themselves as separate from the broader workers' struggle was to position themselves in opposition to the then prominent in the UK and other Western countries, more bourgeois struggle for suffrage. Let's think about Juanita Nielsen, an heiress, I believe, who disappeared in July 1975. Now, she was connected with um, the Builders Labourers Federation, in my view. And if you can see the documentary, uh, uh, Rocking the Foundations, about the BLF, this is an extraordinary organisation, now more or less characterised and very wrongly as a, as a corrupting and corrupt misogynist organisation of not even idealists, but murderers. And there were uh, a lot of Aboriginal people, uh, there were a huge amount of migrant workers, there was exceptional leaders and, and members, and they formed connections as unions should Beyond, as unions must, as, as trade unions have, have always strived to, they formed connections beyond the workplace to the urban area, to, to, to other rights. And Nielsen was very much involved in the so-called green bans, an attempt to save public housing in Sydney. In 1866, just after black women in the USA were allegedly freed, they formed uh, in Jackson, Mississippi, a large group of women uh, laundresses. They formed uh, a union and they did strike for higher wages. Did I mention Rose Schneiderman, who coined the phrase bread and roses? The authoress of this phrase came to attention after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire around about the First World War period too, which killed 123 women and 23 men in New York City. Uh, she devoted a great deal of her life to bringing uh, to a broader attention the unsafe working conditions under which many people, women and men, laboured. Like many people, perhaps like you, you this historic event, which is um, you know, still remembered and falsely remembered by liberals, I guess, as an example of how far we've come when many more women died in the, the Rana Plaza factory collapse of textile workers, largely women in, in Bangladesh. Almost a hundred years later, this was recalled. So, I, I mean, there's, there's so many examples. There's so much reliable data about where women have existed in the workers' struggle and um, the, the struggle um, against the nation state, the struggle against um, capital as a defining force. Don't. Helen Reyes' response to the question, where have women existed in the workers' struggle both historically and today? Join Helen and Lauren after 10 a.m. this morning for a full discussion on the relationship between Marxism and feminism, gender equality and identity politics. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast, celebrating May Day.